0: First, we hear from Father Jim's good friend, Jesuit priest, Father Michael Sparrow, who opens this podcast by proclaiming the Gospel reading. Then, Father Jim's illuminating Gospel teaching follows. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. The Spirit drove Jesus out into the desert. And he remained in the desert for 40 days, tempted by Satan. He was among wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. After John had been arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. This is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The Gospel of the Lord.
1: As we begin this season of Lent, I suspect that you're like myself and we have the question, now what can I do? What can I do this season that will really be good for me, good for some kind of spiritual renewal? In our family, when we grew up, we customarily gave up desserts and That's a good thing. But what I'd like to suggest in our study of today's gospel is that we do more than just give up desserts. Instead, we go into the desert. The desert, which is that place of conversion. As we will see now, Jesus being led into the desert where he is tempted by Satan. It's interesting to compare Mark's account of this temptation scene with the other synoptic Gospels of Matthew and Luke. Mark, as you might now suspect, is the earliest of the Gospels to be written. Scholars suggest the year about 70 AD. And for that reason, it's probably the simplest that is briefest of the Gospel. For that reason, maybe your favorite, I don't know. But we have in Mark's Gospel more or less the bare bones of what takes effect in Jesus' life, and so we see that same bare necessity of reporting in this temptation scene. For instance, and this stands in difference to the other Synoptic Gospels, Mark has no detail about the nature of the temptation. Remember, Satan tempts Jesus to turn this stone into bread. We don't hear that in Mark. There also is no mention that Jesus... Was victorious over Satan, that he overcame the temptation. Get into this later, but it's part of Mark's theology that his entire ministry was a continual battle against Satan. This is just the beginning and the preview of coming attractions. But we do see that Mark's temptation scene is deliberately and intimately connected to the baptismal scene of Jesus. So we need to see that as soon as the Spirit came upon Jesus in the water, the Spirit then immediately moved Jesus out into the dry desert. And so is the movement of the Spirit in our life, the ebb and flow. As soon as the Spirit comes into us, the Spirit will also challenge us and move us out of ourselves, where it will ultimately be a test, a test of the Holy Spirit against the evil spirit. And this is what we see is Jesus is escorted by the Holy Spirit, but tested by the evil spirit of Satan. He's led into the desert. The desert is this place in the Bible of testing. In the desert, one is vulnerable to hunger and thirst, where water and food is scarce. The desert is a place where you're vulnerable to the elements of the weather, the hot heat of the scorching sun, and the bitter cold and wind of the night. In the desert, you are vulnerable to the wild animals and the wild criminals who often pillaged people during the night. In the desert, one is vulnerable to being lost, Since there are no signs and the land itself is almost trackless. Not to mention, in the desert, you're vulnerable to mirages or illusions. And everything seems the same. So it's easy to get lost in the desert, as did Israel, wandering around for 40 some years. In the desert, one is vulnerable to a loneliness. In the total silence, in extreme isolation, in the desert, there are no comforts, no conveniences. Life is difficult. Paradoxically, it's also in the desert that there is a sacred space. In that silence, one can begin to hear the voice of the Spirit speak. One can begin to discern the evil force at work, as well as the the Holy Spirit moving us and directing us. It was in the desert that Jesus called Israel to become his chosen people. It was in the desert. He formed them, taught them. It was in the desert. He made a covenant with them. It was in the desert. God exposed their sins and their idols and turned them away back to himself. And so it is in the desert that Jesus, like Israel of old, faces the test of Satan. And we're told that he stayed in the wasteland 40 years. The desert seems like a wasteland. You're not getting anywhere. It seems like a waste of time. Put there to the test by Satan. These 40 days is a biblical phrase The Hebrew expression, not to be taken literally, but intended to mean a considerable amount of time. As I alluded to earlier, Israel, who spent 40 years in the desert, Moses, who spent 40 days and 40 nights on Mount Sinai, Elijah, who climbed also Mount Horeb, as it's called synonymous to Sinai, for 40 days and 40 nights. So now we see Jesus spending 40 days and 40 nights, a length of time, In this critical time where he faced his demons that tried to allure him. During this entire period, Mark implies that Jesus is tempted, unlike the synoptics where Jesus was fasting and praying, and after fasting 40 days, was then tempted. So we see Mark is more intent on indicating to us that the desert is teaching Jesus about the struggle against evil that he will face all throughout his life. One more interesting point that's distinct from Mark from the other Gospels is the fact that Mark singularly mentions that Jesus is with the wild beast. And of course, there are these wild beasts untamed in the desert, and One suspects that they're all representing or symbolizing that evil enemy in our life. But we're also told, too, that angels waited on him, that there is the presence of a holy. I'd like to just briefly share an experience that I had in the desert. Previous to my Israel experience, where were able to spend four days and four nights in the Sinai Desert and the Negev Desert near the Judean Desert, where Jesus would have retreated for these 40 days of Lent, what we now know as Lent. Previous to that experience, my only encounter with the desert was in Palm Springs, California and Scottsdale, Arizona. And naturally, I love the desert. But obviously, this resort desert is a whole lot different than the wilderness and wasteland desert that's described in scriptures. The desert I immediately saw is so symbolic of those spaces and places in our lives that are most difficult. As our particular class went off to spend these four nights, four days in the desert... I was immediately struck by why this is a natural setting for what we've come to know is the place of hardship. That place where naturally we are tested and tempted. And we can perhaps identify that desert quickly in our life. So it is, we can get out of the desert, but the desert never leaves us. There is Inherent in our life, ever-present desert time, when, let's say, emotionally, we are hungry for love and thirsting for an inner peace. How many of us in our marriages can identify those times when it is so difficult and it feels like nothing's working, And you feel the scorching heat of the burden that's on you or the cold shoulder of the night. One of the things I experience in the desert is how cold it gets. It's like the extreme. Haven't we experienced that in our own relationships, the extremes? It's almost like we're on a roller coaster ride, we say. The ups and the downs, the ins and the outs. How difficult those times are that leave us feeling emotionally lonely or distressed or discouraged or even despair. These are desert times. And we don't have to go out in search of that desert. It will find us. We experience the desert relationally when we feel that we are coming in touch with a wild beast who criticize us or condemn us, or give us such a hard time, attack us, or are unfair to us. We experience that beast within ourselves. That part of us, it's so hard to deal with. And we cannot escape that beast within us. And there's, as the story goes, the beauty in us too. But it doesn't want to have anything to do with that other side or part of us. And yet, we're forced to relate as we try to integrate that part of ourselves, the shadow selves, as Carl Jung would say. Spiritually, I'm sure we have been in that time of Lent where God is silent and distant, where our prayer, no matter how sincere, is so dry so desolate and it appears as though our spiritual life is a complete wasteland nothing's happening and we're certainly not growing that's the terrain of the desert it seems like we're not getting anywhere in the desert we feel lost and confused in life those are the desert times they're awful and one of the experiences I felt with being in the desert is that, how am I going to survive? How are you going to survive and just get through this desert times? You see, as, as I begin to explain what the desert represents, we can begin to see that Lent isn't so much a time to give up desert. It's a time to get into the desert. And we don't have to go out in search of any sacrifice. It will find us. We don't have to go making any cross for ourselves. The cross will be laid upon us. Be sure of it. We don't have to go thinking and fabricating any kind of sacrifice. It will find us. All we need to do is to accept it and deal with it and believe that in this difficult time of the desert, it will be, as it was for Israel and as it was for Jesus, a time of tremendous growth, even though we can't see it or feel it. We just have to trust in the desert, that the desert is there to form us, to teach us, to convert us. The desert, paradoxically, is a time of great growth. As we face these tests, and as any teacher will tell you, That's why a teacher gives tests, so you can learn and grow. That is why God allows these tests to happen. In the desert, we learn our weakness and our total reliance on God. True? When you really face your problems, when you're down and out, the only way out is to look up for the helping hand of God. The desert reminds us, too, of our dependence on one another. We can't do it alone. No one goes out to the desert alone. No one should go out alone without the help of God and help of others. The desert forces us back to the basics. When we're caught in a trap of troubles, it forces us to ask the question, now, wait a minute, what really matters here? What is my purpose in life? These are the ultimate spiritual existential questions. And the desert forces us in a time of aloneness to be silent, to listen for the Lord. What I'm suggesting is the desert is holy ground. It's a place we naturally try to avoid, if we can ever help it, but it's inevitable and totally unavoidable. And what Lent is about is to go ahead and allow the Spirit to lead you to face the, if you will, those difficult trials and troubles and to allow yourself to take the test. I'm often reminded of Scott Peck, who many of you know is a psychiatrist, who after years of psychotherapy with his patients, had written this wonderful book called The Road Must Traveled, that I recently read is sold five million copies was translated into 20 languages and had made publishing history record of being 10 years on the New York bestseller list. And in that book that many of you, I'm sure, would be familiar, he begins by saying, life is difficult. And then goes on to say, it takes us a long while to learn that life is a series of problems. We keep saying to ourselves, oh, thank God, if I could just get over this, then I'll be happy. But then, sure enough, another problem arises. Have you noticed? And then we come to realize life is a series of problems. Scott Peck's observation as a therapist is that most of us, however, are not so wise to realize that it's only because of our problems that we ever really spiritually grow. Most of us try to avoid them, skirt them, deny them, get around them. Few of us learn to deal with them and learn from them and grow from them. And he said this is the only way to not only psychological well-being, but to spiritual wholeness too. Scott Peck has written a sequel to The Road Less Traveled entitled, Further Along The Road Less Traveled. The Unending Journey Toward Spiritual Growth. I'd like to just read an excerpt of this book. It's a fascinating uh, continuation where he speaks of the desert himself. He says, To proceed very far through the desert, you must be willing to meet suffering and to work through it. In order to do that, you need to change your attitude toward pain. And the quickest way to change your attitude toward pain is to accept the fact that everything that happens to us in life has been for our spiritual growth. Everything that happens to us in life is for our spiritual growth. What I suggest is that is the attitude that we need to assume to lead us into land. For Lent is that place in which we face our difficulties in life, that we proceed to deal with our pain and our problems, and that we ask the question, what is there for me to learn? How is it I'm being challenged to grow? And where is the real temptation for me? I'd like to just tell a story I read and heard about someone who I think exemplifies his movement through Lent to Easter, into new life. It's reported by a physician who had a young man as his patient who came to him. He was 24 years old and had bone cancer. That required that his entire leg up to his hip be amputated to save his life. 24 years old, left without a leg to stand on. He became a very angry man, and this particular physician and psychologist helped him to work through his terrible hatred toward all his peers who seemed to be so healthy and happy. He encouraged them to work through that pain by having him write and draw. As he did over the year or two that followed, he saw the young man make tremendous growth. And in a certain time, he came to see that maybe he could help other people through their pain and problems. And at one time, he decided to work with other patients in the hospital. One day, he happened to be in his shorts, where his artificial leg was completely exposed. And he came into this room of a particular woman about his same young age in the young 20s who had just suffered from a double radical mastectomy. With both breasts removed and feeling her womanhood torn from her, she was into the depths of depression and the nurses didn't know how to care to help her. They evidently had left the radio on hoping to cheer her up. And this young man hobbling along, came into her room. The woman didn't even take notice of him. And in an extreme effort to reach out to her, he decided to dismantle and disconnect his artificial leg and then stood up and jumped around on one leg, started dancing and snapping his finger to the music. The woman was so startled by this crazy man hobbling and dancing on one foot to the wild rock and roll, that she began to laugh out loud and said to herself, man, if you can dance, then I can sing. And it tremendously helped her in her own recovery. Later, this man came back to the physician and reported on this event. And he took out an old file of some of his paintings that he had drawn when he was working through his psychotherapy, and showed him this one picture that a man had drawn this vase. In order to try to illustrate the particular pain he felt of his amputation, he drew a very dark, black crack through the vase. And with several painful efforts, with anguish and grinding his teeth, he recalls, He went over and over and over and over that crack till it was obvious the crack became more prominent in the vase itself. A vase that now, as he said, could never hold water for anyone, representing his life that he felt was so useless. And the man looked at that and said, that picture is not yet done. He took the drawing, took out this yellow... Magic marker and highlighted the crack so it completely filled the vase and handed it back to the doctor and said, That crack has become where the light of the Lord now shines through my life. That man understands the meaning of Lent, which is a journey of carrying our cross and ultimately discovering what Jesus ultimately discovered in his resurrection, that our cross leads to the ground, that this penance and problems and pain that we deal with can lead us ultimately, if we are faithful to dealing with it and carrying it and learning from it and growing through it, can lead us to a whole new life, that can give life to others. So what do I suggest? I suggest that you don't be too quick to picking up any cross or making a cross other than to deal with what's right immediately before you. And this Ash Wednesday, we're marked with the sign of the cross on our forehead to say, we're all blessed with the shadow of the cross casting its shadow on ourselves. In some way, all we have to do is deal with that difficulty in our family, accept that problem in pain, that we're suffering and enduring in our body, in our relationships, in our work, and that we ask ourselves, what is it the Lord's trying to teach us? How is it Satan's trying to tempt us? Where is it that I can find relief What is it I need to do to bring me new life? Those are the questions. That's the challenge. Remember when Jesus finished this desert time, he went into his ministry with tremendous power, discovering how to overcome Satan by calling on the higher power of his father. That's what we need to do. have our sight on Easter. Otherwise, Lent is a disaster light on Easter with the hope of new life, we want to plunge into this season. And so I would encourage us to take a moment now, this thought of where's our cross that we need to pick up, where's the challenge we need to face, where's the difficulty that we need to learn from, and allow it, as Scott Peck said, to teach us and to help us to really grow. Let us end with a prayer. Lord Jesus, may your Spirit lead us into this season to show us and teach us what we need to learn, how we need to grow, and how we might help one another with their cross. We make this our prayer this day and through this season of Lent. We pray through Christ our Lord.
0: Thank you for listening to Father Jim's Gospel Teaching. We hope you have been inspired and will subscribe to this weekly podcast and share it with your family and friends. The mission of Heart to Heart is to proclaim the good news of God's Son Jesus to the entire world. For more inspirational teachings by Father Jim and Father Michael, visit our website, www.htoh.us. May God bless your heart and the hearts of all your loved ones.